0: And um, then we'll just start talking, and is that all right? Sure. Okay, all right, I'll do some intro, which I'll make up now. On a, a rainy Saturday, Easter, and Monday, um, I am talking to Professor Monser about the course that we ran only a week ago or so, wasn't it, Paul, in uh, Weheke Island in New Zealand?
1: Last weekend, in fact.
0: And you've been home, and you're well-rested now, are you?
1: Well-rested, ready to go. Get- Get back
0: to work. I think I'll start it. Oh, well, unlike you, I've been working most of the morning, most of the Easter, but that's okay. That's what happens for people who uh, don't work with their hands. I think that's fair to say about you and uh, also about me. So you can work on weekends, which is a double edged sword. But anyway, so Paul, um, I have a confession to make to the listener because there'll only be one, and that is that the course I was intending to nick off at 9.05 and go driving around the island and go to wineries or for a swim, and it was a beautiful day. But I actually, I have to admit, stayed and listened to you all day. I think that says something, doesn't it?
1: Well, I was very surprised because I thought you were going to go as well, and every time I looked around, you were still there and awake.
0: And asking questions, as I recall much of the chagrin well, of other participants most of the time, I suspect. But... Um, no, I, uh, I have to say, and I'm not just saying this to be nice to you because you know I don't normally do that, I thought the content was really good and even as a not really clinically practising in any meaningful sense practitioner, I learned a lot. I suppose that you would have a view of uh, how the course went. Did you feel that people were engaged? And, and secondly, if you want to say yes to that, what do you think you perceive they might have learned?
1: Yes, I think they were engaged. I was not totally happy with the course. And I think that was because, you know, it's the first time we've really run it in that in that format. Normally, it's only a cone beam interpretation course. But this one was panoramics and cone beam. And you have to convey a lot of information in a short period of time. And I think I tried to make it clear at the beginning that no one was going to remember everything that I said during the day and that if there was one message they took home it was to spend time at the end of the day going through their cone beam data sets or going through their opgs just to find things that they didn't notice when they first looked at the opg or went through the cone beam data set and when there's not a patient there who's monopolizing your time and asking you questions and that sort of thing so I think they took that message home and I think there would have been some nice little pearls that they'd probably remember in terms of looking at OPGs and looking at cone beam data sets. I think uh, they also hopefully appreciated, you know, it's a big step up going from 2D imaging to 3D data sets. I,
0: um, I was really interested because I remember how much I've forgotten since I, since I did a course with you, I think, around about 2000 or 2001 and you told me that a lot of the material was repeated which it would be because that's just the nature of the business but I'm surprised how much I had forgotten and it also brought back to me and call me stupid if you like but not just now Paul but why it's called continuing professional development because obviously it has to be continuing and that's the whole point isn't it that, that people might forget something they learnt from a licensing course 10 years ago or
1: 20 years ago in my case. I think it's the same with any any lecture that you attend. You know, you might even write down notes, but how many people go back over their notes after they've attended a course? So I would think probably less than 5% would would do that. But what I like about a course is that you get information that you can apply the very next day. As soon as you look at another OPG or look at a cone beam data set, you'll recall things that... You will, you will have heard, you won't recall, all of it, but it doesn't matter. You, you realise that there are limitations to your knowledge. I've got limitations, you've got limitations, and we have to continue to learn, otherwise we're going to go backwards.
0: And there's a lot of material covered, and I think that probably what for those who weren't there um, and who couldn't make it I should say the the most value for me was the the theory at the beginning and and also the application during the morning but also the opportunity for people to look over a couple of hours at the data sets and come up with what they thought and I think overall from my perception wandering around the room uh, most people didn't do too badly but they probably were people who were going to be interested anyway weren't they
1: Yes, I think you know that group who were prepared to take time out, spend money, and attend a course would be the most interested group. That's why I like doing those sorts of courses because they are interested. You know, they don't ask as many questions as you do, but you know they <laughs> ask questions and good questions. You did ask good questions. <laughs>
0: well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, um, I, I guess. Yeah, that- I was.
1: I was. I, yeah. I was happy with the responses. I thought going around, you know, the people were generally picking up the main points. They might not have picked something as being a malignancy, but they knew that it was pathology. They had the impression it was significant pathology. And that's what you need.
0: And the, uh, the, what, one something I learned, which I feel quite stupid, is many years ago, you won't recall, but I talked to you about people who would take ICAT data sets and then um, get the OPG type, of uh, image that results from a data set. I, I don't. There's a term for that, isn't there? What is the term for that? The OPG. The reconstructed pattern. Reconstructed. Um, and what I've picked up from your lecture, amongst a whole lot of other things, is that obviously the reconstructed OPG is nothing like an OPG because clearly it's a single line of um, of material picked up along the trough that you that you choose. And you can very easily miss material um, compared to an OPG, which was kind of a, a surprise to me, but, but it makes perfect sense once you explain that.
1: I, I think that one of the good things coming out of the course for those who attended is a better appreciation of the limitations of cone beam. And that is one of the limitations, you know, that yes, we make a panoramic, we don't make an OPG, it's not. An OPG radiograph generated using an OPG machine—it's a panoramic scout radiograph constructed from the three D data set. And yes, it won't show you all of the things that you'll see on on an OPG. So you just use it as a scout or as a guide—a guide radiograph. And I think I showed three different panoramics made from the one data set, and you could see how some of the teeth look totally different.
0: Yes. And yeah. And there's a there's a there's a potential error or an assumption that people might make who look at radiographs all the time who aren't you know well trained in interpretation who might make these errors and sometimes that's just one of those things. But um, I, I guess the thing that I would like as a lawyer for people to take away from this for their own benefit and for their patients' benefit would be if you don't know, then ask. Surely that's
1: a simple proposition, isn't it, Paul? Yes, I think that's correct. You made a good point actually during one of many good points, but you made one good point. And that was a that was about dentists referring patients to a medical radiology practice, radiology practice, doing a scan, doing a report. And the question I think was who liable if something's missed? And um, I was also, I've always been under the impression that whoever did the report was the person that was liable. But in fact, you made the point that both parties can be liable, those referring and those doing the reporting. Is that uh, correct? That's
0: right, because w- what happens is the patient comes to a practitioner and if you use a medical analogy, they go to see their GP, their GP sends them to someone and there's something adverse outcome that is caused by a variety of factors and so it, it would clearly be the case that if you send someone off to a radiologist you're fairly much shifting the responsibility to the radiologist but there I believe and there's case law to suggest that, that um, people who refer half can't just say well it's out of my hands and that's just a fundamental responsibility of health practitioners that you know you need to actually advert to your patient's individual circumstances. And if you personally would do a certain thing, then I think its it behoves you, to use that old term, to, um, to do what you think is right. And I think that dental practitioners who look at... I'm more concerned about people who look at um, x-rays. And as I see on certain forums that won't be named, uh, people say, what do you think this is? Well, if you don't know what it is, I don't think you should rely on a forum of people to tell you, you should send it off to a radiologist and I just think uh, that's critically important as you do, um, Paul I'm, I'm going to ask a question, I think I know the answer, you do tell a radiology as in people will send a, 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 an image they've recorded themselves to you and you interpret it won't you, is that true?
1: Well that happens almost on a daily basis and some days I'll get more than one image emailed to me but and and if it's not of a you know, diagnostic quality, then i just say no, you know, I can't give an opinion. But it, it, it I find it extremely difficult doing that because I think then I'm taking on the responsibility of that patient because they're emailing me and saying, you know, what do you think about that opacity? What about this? What should I do with that? It does put me in an awkward position, I think, medico-legally.
0: But and as a... Yeah, but as a... Uh, a professional as you are, you always help people, and that's the point. Whoever the radiologist is, and there are lots of specialists I think you told me 13 medico um, DMFR radiologists across the country, is that right? DMF radiologists 11, I think.
1: 11,
0: so there's a lot of people. It's not just you, it's not all about you, Paul. No, but no, I, no, I but do think that you know, there's you we were not point. I mean, I think that you're you know trained most of them, um, and your preeminence, but that's why we've had, we've tried to organise this session. But I do think it's important that if people are looking at images, whether it's an OPG or a CT data set, and they don't know, then that's an indication that there's a lack of knowledge uh, and they should seek assistance. And I think that's just a fundamentally obvious issue, isn't it?
1: Yes, and I have no idea what percentage of people actually would do that I know there are so many cone beam machines out there now, it's not funny, and I also know that in certain, at least one state, you can't get a license to Inter- get yeah, and drive a cone beam machine unless someone does a report on it.
0: Well, let's talk about that, and this is a question without notice. That's Western Australia, which is a number of differences. Um, that would be seen as oppressive in the eastern states, but and having been involved in understanding about this for some years now, it's kind of not a bad thing to a degree, is it? Or or do you want to express a view or you prefer that I edit this out later on?
1: Well, no, I've got a view. Okay. I think that dental practitioners are not trained to interpret large field of view cone beam data sets. You know, you get airways, cervical spine, base of skull, brain, paranasal sinuses how many general dentists have had training in radiographic interpretation of those areas of the body? And the answer is none. And <laughs> even most of the dental specialists would fall into the same category. So I certainly think it's a good idea for dentists taking large field of view cone beam data sets to have them interpreted by someone who knows what they're doing. I don't have the same opinion for small field of view cone beam data sets. You know, if you've just got a few teeth a bit of supporting bone, dentists should be able to interpret that.
0: Well, on that subject, one of your uh, sections of your presentation was about field of view, and I'd forgotten some of it, but I remember when you and I were at UQ together and we got that incredibly generous deal from Plan Mecca for that... Um, <laughs> I don't really know that, I'm just saying that to be funny, but the, um, <laughs> the uh, multi-field of view machine... Was set up yeah. for that purpose. So, just for clarify, for people who are listening, if you were to get a machine and you were to interpret a what? What's the smallest view? Three by five by something else centimeters? Is that the smallest ball?
1: I think four by four by four is about the smallest field of view you can get. So,
0: as a lawyer well, and, and listening to what you said, I would say that the risk of interpreting that inappropriately is significantly less than. Uh, the other fields of view that incorporate brain and airways um, and um, uh, sinuses and so on. So I'm not sure that message always gets through. um, But everything, am I right in saying, Paul, that all of these machines will take multiple levels or can you get a, a, a CT scan machine that will just do very small field of view?
1: Yes, you can just get a machine that'll just do... You know, there is one machine. I don't know if it's still available or not, but certainly there was one machine, which was an ACUI Tomo that would only do four by four. That was it. And that and, was one of the early early machines. But that was one of the reasons, as like you said, we bought a Plan Mecca because we could get three different fields of view. Yeah. and But it, each machine varies on what it's capable of giving you in terms of field of view. So some of them will... Will allow you to change the height in variable, just make the height variable, but the diameter is constant. You, um, so that yeah, but that, that it, sort of machine, you can't just do one quadrant. For example, you'd have to do if you want to look at putting an implant in the four six site, you'd have to include quadrant three in that scan.
0: When at the end of the day, when there was uh, literally five minutes left for me to give my presentation. We talked about the the <laughs> article that I wrote that at, at yeah, your sorry. insistence, yeah. um, and one of the I was rereading it on that weekend a week ago, and the article by Friedland was really excellent, and I relied heavily upon that. But that article raised a very important point, which and we won't talk forever. We'll finish very shortly. But one of those points was that you can there's a balance. You can seek to reduce your liability by taking taking the small field of view. Um, But you might expand your other liability by not actually taking into consider other areas, consideration other areas, which you should have. So, for example, if you were taking an image, I think Friedland talks about in his article, which I know everyone's read, about taking an image looking for uh, an impacted canine, that if you don't go high enough to find the apex, the root, the sinus that might be involved, then you might be deemed to be um, practicing inappropriately or, Negligently, because you didn't expand the field of view. Uh, what do you have to say about that, Paul? Is that a
1: valid point? Do you think? Well, it's a basic principle of interpretation that you have to see the entire. So, if, you know, if we're looking at a large cyst, you've got to see the full extent of the lesion. So, yes, I think that's perfectly, perfectly accurate. And, but you don't. It, it can be difficult to know what field of view is required, but. I think it's a basic principle if you're interested in an area of pathology you don't get the whole area then you have to repeat the scan and to if, include the whole area
0: so i i guess that people dentists who are ordering cbct through their own machine or through a radiology practice need to understand they have responsibility for both what they order and we talk briefly during that course at the end of the day with the um fairly equal numbers of New Zealand and Australian dentists was that you need to be careful about what you order and what you tell the radiologist. So the question I have for you rising from that is if you get a referral from a dentist for, um, you know, a, a CT data set, what would you prefer for them to write within the referral? And I'm sure this applies to all radiologists
1: across the country.
0: What, what well, detail would you,
1: you want? You need to know what's the question they're trying to answer? So it's pretty cut and dry if they want to put an implant at a particular site. You know, they want to know how much bone there is an indication of the quality of the bone, where the vital structures are. So the information provided will vary, obviously, on what the practitioner wants to know. What What's the question? And that is what will dictate what examination should be applied. And one of the messages I try to get across is that, you know, there are times when cone beam is not appropriate, when even though you might want three-dimensional information, if there's soft tissue involvement, cone beam is not appropriate for soft tissue pathology. It'll only give you information about hard tissue. So then you'd need to think about medical CT. And so I think practitioners need to know that. They need to know what, what examination will be most appropriate we do have a system in this country where the medical radiologist is actually the gatekeeper. So if a patient's referred and this is, there's a particular question that needs to be answered, then and the practitioner referring is asked for this type of examination, if the radiologist thinks that's not appropriate, then the radiologist will ring the refer and say, that's not appropriate, this is what I think we need to be doing. Yeah. If there's no information, it makes it very difficult that.
0: So um, I'm sure we could talk all day because I'm really interested in this area, but let's not do that because it's Monday afternoon and you and I have both got to go to work tonight, if not tomorrow. Can I ask you, Paul, if we were to do this course again and we talked about other wine areas that we might go to to keep some people happy, um, would you do the same thing? Would you do it in a single day or would you actually do some education beforehand and have interpretation only or or just and i've not asked you this but what are your thoughts
1: yeah i think it is it it, i personally would prefer to do it in a single day i know it's a lot of information um but then you know you you've done that and and you can relax personally then i can relax after that um, generally if I go away and I'm running a course, I don't relax. You know, I think Waiheke was a little bit different. I, I was able to relax because I had a full day after the course. So the limitation on that, obviously, is as we've already said, is that there's a lot of information conveyed in a relatively short period of time. So I think I would, would reduce the amount of information.
0: But still maybe have... Um, uh, you know a seven hour I think it was seven hours was the amount that we had and I, I thought that was about right you wouldn't want another two hours and I think you'd want no. less um, so uh, to your knowledge is anyone else running interpretation courses I mean you and I've spoken about this for a long time but I think what I'd like to get across to the listeners is that interpretation versus licensing are two very different things aren't they and whoever's running these courses, who are, if a, a specialist medical DMFR radiologist is running this, then I think people should go out of their way to attend, shouldn't they?
1: Well, anyone who has got their own Cone B machine, anyone has got their own APG machine, Cone B machine, even those referring to medical radiology practices or oral radiology practices, need to be able to interpret the images themselves yeah. You can't just, as you've said, you can't just totally rely on the the person you're referring to. You know as well as I do that quite often, and, and, and no disrespect to my medical radiology colleagues, they don't have a lot of training in interpretation of panoramic OPGs. And in terms of cone beam, they have better training because they're used to medical CT. So they should be able to report well on cervical spine if it's shown paranasal sinuses all of those things they still have difficulty with dental pathology sure. you get pathology in the jaws you don't see anywhere else in the body yeah and so it's difficult
0: well i i found some of the really interesting um dental pathology was even to me as a sort of a pseudo dentists as I regard myself these days I found it really fascinating but look um Paul I just wanted to formally thank you in front of the 10 people that might ever listen to this in the fullness of time um and also state that if um people do want to do this education they need to let people like Paul and I know uh Paul and me know I'm not sure anyway we're intending on running another one I think aren't we Paul you're open to the idea if I come up with the place aren't you I think so. Oh, you think so? <laughs> Gee, you can't get a greater commitment than that. So what I've wow. spoken to Paul's wife about, and let's forget what Paul thinks, is we're talking about uh, <laughs> that, potentially the, Gran- the Granite Belt and uh, the Clear Valley. Um, there's a number of places in New Zealand I'd like to go to, but I think we should do those first. So, Paul, um, thank you again. For One your question. Attention. Oh, you've got a One question.
1: question. I have, you know, that um, I've been accused in the past of not having enough races has in my lectures, so, uh, you know, um, I value your input. Oh,
0: gee, that's a dangerous question. Can I say, Paul, what that... What did you think um, about the
1: quality of the... I
0: thought that you had... Um, it. You know this, and I'm not. you've not asked me to say this. It's true. If the quality of material is there and the knowledge is there, then no one really cares about the PowerPoint presentations. And I do know that you attempted to do some tricky introductions of slides and can i say i don't think it really worked paul i think you're just better off sticking with what you know and and i have to say and of the 20 people there excluding you and me so 18 people i got nothing but positive feedback because i think it was great information delivered well and um i was happy to be part of it so i'm going to end the recording now paul before we start start arranging to go out and have a date um but Please, uh, anyone listening, if you're interested in this material, we're more than happy to do it again. No one makes a lot of money out of it apart from Paul, obviously. I certainly don't. And um, it's been great fun, so thank you, Paul.